Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. First responders are often stereotyped in a manner that has a way of dehumanizing the men and women that wear the badge. Today, we have special guest Tara Waters with us here in studio. Tara is a mother, a wife, and a police officer. Tara is here with us today to share her family's story of sickness and health, a story of strength, of grit, and of might. We hope that today's episode helps to humanize the men and women behind the badge. Tara, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Uh, Thank you for that generous introduction. Uh, Tara Waters. I'm a patrol officer with the city of Quincy, Massachusetts Police Department. Uh, I have worked for them for since 2014. Um, It's almost, I think, going on 10 years, just about, just short of. And uh, I am a mom of two amazing kids, Maggie Waters, the mighty Maggie, and uh, my son, the mighty Quinn, better well known as. Married to a great husband, great father. Uh, that's about it. So you're a police officer, I heard you say. Right? I am. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, um, you're working in Quincy. Yes. Um, have you always been there? Um, I have not. I've actually been in law enforcement uh, just shy of 25 years. Wow. Uh, so I've quite an extensive history working in the system. So tell us a little bit about your previous, um, where you worked before. Uh I started out right out of college working for DYS. I was a group worker there, uh, working with offenders, youthful offenders. I left that job because I felt like I'd be better qualified. I'd be better served, more satisfied working with victims of crime. Uh, So I left there after about a year and a half and went and worked for the Middlesex DA's office as a victim witness advocate. Uh, Worked there for just shy of two years and then in my mind, got promoted to the Malden Police Department. I was their civilian advocate. I worked there for about eight, eight years um, and left there to become a police officer uh, with the Boston College Police Department. Worked there for four years, left to go have my daughter, was fortunate enough to work for the state's uh, Alcoholic Beverages Control Commission, and only left there because I got a I was one of the lucky ones. I got a card uh, from civil service for Quincy Police Department. So I left there to go work as a patrol officer for Quincy Police. Wow. You have so much experience behind you. Wow. So I wasn't expecting that, (laughs) all of that. Um, So, Tara, I want to, you know, I know you're a police officer, right? And we have you in here today. And we're hope beyond the badge. Um, But your family experienced some trauma. 
uh, in your lives uh, a couple of years ago. Um, trauma that no mom and dad would ever want to go through. Um, it's the worst nightmare yes. of a child being sick. Do you want to take us through that a little bit and share a little bit with our listeners um, sure. with that? Uh, so I always say, some people say, oh, you're a police officer. I said, yeah. And they say, wait, are you the Mighty Quinn's mom? I'm better well known as the Mighty Quinn's mom. Uh, Mighty Quinn was born, perfectly healthy baby boy. Uh, when he turned three years old in 2019, the day after he turned three, he was diagnosed with a medulloblastoma brain tumor. Um, obviously not something we were capable of dealing with. No one gives you a book when you have kids saying, you know, what to expect when your child is diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, but he, he trucked through. He had uh, four rounds of chemotherapy, a stem cell transplant, a resection, which is basically a removal of the brain tumor. Um, and then, you know, we went on to have a little bit of health and, you know, some great experiences thanks to a wonderful community. Um, and he was again diagnosed a week before he turned five in 2021. Um, and he had three brain tumors at that point. Wow. Yes. So uh, when he was diagnosed with that, he uh, was prescribed and went through uh, 30 rounds of high-dose radiation to his brain and his spine. And currently today, it's... Uh, what, May 2023, he's stable for any new disease. So any disease that is there has remained exactly the size that it is, and it's considered stable. So we're, we're very, very fortunate. Okay. So take us through that um, experience for you as a mom um, and also as a police officer, but a mom first. Um, how did you do that? I mean, how were you able to... process that information that you're receiving as a mom that your child is sick not only sick but a brain tumor um that initial time how did you how did you get through that as a mom and be able to navigate that with your family um you know I think Quinn has made it very easy he's extremely tough he does not ever feel bad for himself so it's hard for me then to say, eh, I feel kind of bad for myself. This this terrible thing happened. Mm. No one's expecting a diagnosis like that. No one's prepared for it. Mm. You know? No one's prepared financially, emotionally, in any way. Um, so, you know, that was just something we took day to day. It was very difficult, but we took it day to day. Yeah. I can see you're holding back a little bit of emotion there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult to think about. It's okay. You know? yeah. yeah, that is okay. Um, so did you need to take time off work? I did. Uh, you know, it, I remember him being diagnosed and everything took basically a backseat yeah. work. You know, I was very, I was extremely career oriented and, you know, wanted to get ahead. I was a female in law enforcement and that was a big priority for me. So obviously I was extremely career oriented. It was three years after I'd given birth almost and. You know, I felt like I was kind of getting back to myself after all that and working on my career, getting back into, you know, how fast I could move ahead, what my my priorities were. Um, and then next thing you know, he gets this diagnosis and you don't know, is my kid going to live or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So suddenly things like that take an immediate backseat and 
I remember just saying, like, I don't care if I have a job. Nothing matters. I need to just take care of this kid and make sure he's okay. Yeah. So you, you, you were able to get time off and support from your department with that? Yep. So I was extremely, extremely fortunate. Uh, our police department and our city contract with the police department allows fellow patrol officers and anyone who works in the department, really, to donate sick time. Oh. Um, and so, again, extremely fortunate that we have that. They donated enough time that I was able to stay home throughout the entire treatment. I didn't have to worry about anything. Um, I had a paycheck coming in. And for so many cancer families that we've gotten to know, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest hurdles for them is, you know, I need to be with my child while my child seeks treatment, but I, I got to pay my electricity bill. So I can't even imagine dealing with your child being sick and then having to sort of try and figure out, like, you know, well, I have to go to work. I'll leave my kid here with the nurses. And, you know, and there are parents in that situation. So. Yeah. I always say to people, you know, I was in the best career to have something awful occur within my family. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful to them for that. Yeah. Because it sounds like, um, I mean, even not only from your department, right? Yes. But it has just, it just manifested into something really, really big in the communities. 100%. Um, all yeah. around. Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about that? Before there were things like pandemics, uh, the mighty Quinn had his stem cell transplant, and part of that healing from the stem cell transplant was trying to remain germ-free, and germ-free from people, but also, you know, dirt that comes up in the road, whatever it may be, um, but he had to stay inside the house, and that had to go on for three months. Um, and so it started out innocently enough, a friend of mine, Declan Houghton, of the Irish band Devery, mm-hmm. came by and just, like, played a song for him in the window, uh, and then... The next day, two of my coworkers who were on the uh, special operations unit came by on their motorcycles to see Quinn. And from there, it just became this movement of like, what can we do to entertain the mighty Quinn while he's stuck in his little window, uh, which the community dubbed the Quindow. Um, <laughs> and we had everything. I mean, we had, you know, kids doing dances and kids having water balloon fights with them to, you know, the sheriff's department coming by with their horse and... The fire department coming down, they swore him in, actually. The women's fire department swore him in as a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Gave him his own hat with his own hat badge. Um, you know, all of these things, which they were looking to entertain Quinn, but, you know, for us, they kind of kept us going. That mm-hmm. that certainly, like, you know, it was hard to, like, stop and be like, holy crap, like, look what just happened. When you have all these people behind you being like, you could do it, just keep going. Yeah, true, um, yeah. Just cheering us on and making sure we had everything we needed. Um, even to this day, you know, people stopping us on the street and say, like, oh, you're somebody Quinn's mom. How's somebody Quinn? I pray for him all the time. Gets slightly awkward when I'm on a call and they say, I know you. <laughs> you're the Mike Quinn's mom. <laughs> Uniform, yeah. You know, okay, yeah. put your hands behind your back. <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody just, he's a lovable kid, but everybody just loves him. And I think, like, he's inspired so many people. Uh, just to stay positive and you know I think a lot of people sort of look at them when they're having a bad day and say like hey you know this kid is still smiling like I'm just going to keep on going yeah and I'm one of those people I'm inspired by him every day yeah and it sounds like the community brought joy to the to your doorstep I kind of know that's true I was a visitor at the Quindo and uh, I can relate to the inspiration that you're talking about I, I I felt it I felt inspired 
something that I don't know if we've ever talked about is my daughter prays for him all the time. You know, when Love I that. say, who do you want to pray for? Uh, it's always the mighty Quinn. <laughs> and, and then, um, and then she tries to add to that. I love that. I love. I love that he inspires even the small kids. You know, mm-hmm. I hear it from the adults, but in in those cases, I do. I love that. Yeah, I I, I love it too. Um, outside of the joy uh, during times of, of normalcy, I'm wondering if you guys, as a family, were able to experience normalcy. Were you able to have those everyday laughing moments? Um, and if you were, how were you able to do that? while dealing with so much difficulty behind the scenes? Um, I mean, obviously, that being said, the mighty Quinn finds himself in being grounded quite often. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, di- we definitely have normalcy. It's a different normalcy. Okay. Uh, you know, so I'll speak with regular parents, I'm saying, quote-unquote, normal parents, and, you know, they're stressed out about certain things, and, you know, I wish I could have their stresses. Yeah. You know, we don't have those. Sorry. It's okay. I guess I would say, you know, I talk to parents who they rush them from hockey game to hockey game and. Sorry. Take a deep breath. Take a sip of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. You know, you talk to moms, the moms are rushing around from hockey game to hockey game, you know, soccer, practice, whatever it may be. We don't have those with Quinn. Uh, You know, he does, quote, unquote, play sports. He'll be playing soccer in the fall for the Weymouth team. But, uh, you know, he's incapable of playing any contact sports. He has traumatic brain injury, much like many of our veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the worry that he would, you know, re-injure his brain any further um, is obviously at the top of his medical professionals' uh, worries outside of cancer coming back. Um, and in like today, running to different therapies and treatments, I wish I had their worries. Yeah. yeah. And then fast forward to like what Quinn's been through, and I could say for certain, you know, my daughter has PTSD, I have PTSD, mm-hmm. my husband has PTSD, and our experiences are clearly not comparable. Um, I don't want to take away from anything that veterans have gone through. You know, that would definitely not be a comparison I'd like to make. But when I look at Quinn, I think, like, you are a soldier, kid. Like, yeah. Yeah. you've been to war and back. Yeah. And that being said, like, he doesn't have any PTSD. We're all carrying the PTSD for him. Um, but for him, it's just like, oh, it's, it's just my life. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this appointment, time for an MRI, you know, and it's, it's, you know, funny isn't the word, but it's ironic when you look at it, like I'm the parent carrying the PTSD of cancer for you. Mm. And he has no idea, you know, the weight of his diagnosis. Mm. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't realize like, Hey, you know, you could die from this at any point in time. Um, And the rest of us do, including my 10 year old daughter. Mm. Um, And I guess, you know, while I recognize it in myself, I'm very cognizant of it in my 10-year-old. You know, how we speak to her, what we tell her, he's going through. We've been blessed with um, with great teachers, uh, specifically in the Weymouth Public Schools. Um, 
one of the things that we do, you know, the day that Quinn was diagnosed when he was three, Maggie was in kindergarten. We dropped her off to kindergarten and, you know, kissed goodbye, have a great day. I went to work. I was at a training and my husband was at work and my mother had my son and she didn't see him again for, or us for 14 days. And when she did see him, you know, he was sort of like a stroke patient, which is normal for his location of his tumor when they have surgery. That's, that's a normal reaction. Sometimes it's permanent. Mm -hmm. Thank God with Quinn, it was temporary. So now when she goes to school and he has an MRI, um, we speak with our teachers and they're, they're so well versed and maybe they don't realize it's PTSD, but they realize there's an emotional response on that day mm -hmm. uh, that they allow us to, you know, take a picture of him when he's on his way home in the car, just to like solidify in their minds, like he's coming home. Mm -hmm. Like, don't worry. Yeah. We're all coming home. Um, and every teacher that we've had do it, both at our past schools and at the Wayne Public Schools, they all remark on how, like, she just, like, breathes. Like, she just lets it go for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So uh. she carries the weight of the PTSD. We can manage it a bit better. But mm. we all carry it for Quinn. We're his, we're, we're his stress carriers for him. Mm. So that's a lot. It is a lot. On the whole family, you know, dealing with all of that. And carrying it. So what do you do? Like, how do you, how are you able to relieve that? Um, I mean, we're very family oriented. You know, we, we have every Friday night is movie night. We get together with the kids. And for us, being together is kind of therapy in its own. Uh, again, because we realized, like, there could come a time where we're not all together. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the main thing for us is after Quinn's second diagnosis, and I was raised Irish Catholic, but, like, Nothing wrong with that lady. Yeah, no, like any <laughs> Boston Irish Catholic, you know, I kind of took a pause. Uh, and I think we all kind of do in our youth for the most part. And I'm not going to lie, after his first diagnosis, I was kind of mad at God. Uh, but after the second diagnosis, we kind of found our faith again. And I will say for sure, like 100%, our mm. faith has carried us through. Mm. It's carried us through since 2021 and continues to do every day. I feel like if I was to look back in 2009, like God was trying to reach me and say, like, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2021, he literally just kicked my door in, in the version of a little blue nun who, you know, kind of supported us through his, you know, the initial phase of his uh, relapse diagnosis um, and just reignited our faith. And Quinn has an immense faith in God. He's uh, extremely spiritual for a small seven-year-old lad mm -hmm. um and i guess our thinking is like if he's not mad at god we can't be mad at god and so we've obviously we go to church every sunday as a family whenever we can if i'm not working if i am working i stop in on my shift and take my lunch break while i'm there um and so i guess in seeing our kids response to faith it kind of again inspires us and um I know for me, the kind you know, people say, let go, let God. Like, well, that's true. Sometimes you just got to give it to God. And my biggest worry and one of the things that affects me the most emotionally is it could come back, you know. People say, oh, it'll, he's doing great. He looks great. I'm like, I never thought he looked bad. Like, yeah. You know, and I say that to people. Like, oh, I thought he always looked great. Yeah. I, never, I never thought he looked terrible. Um, so there's always that fear. I'm constantly examining, you know, behaviors, little ticks. So why didn't he eat his dinner tonight? Um, and that 
kind of feeds into the PTSD. That feeds into like you could really cycle down. Yeah, so you're always on watch. Always on watch. You're, you know, and I think that's one of the main components of PTSD that you're like constantly, you know, being vigilant. vigilant. Yeah. The soldiers are vigilant the entire time that they're serving, and that that is one of the main causes of their PTSD. And I think it's hard not to be, you know. And I think especially with cancer, once it comes back once, it's like, okay, well, I can't let my guard down here. Mm-hmm. So having faith and being able to say, like, I can't let my guard down, but, like, God's got this. And, like, I'm not in, in control of any of the plans that are laid out before us. And yep. what's meant to be is actually what's meant to be. And, you know, whether that's Quinn's with us for a short term or long term, you know, our faith is allowing us to enjoy the time we have together. Yeah. Do you talk no. to anybody to just unload uh so i'll be honest i did in 2019 you know once you know the quindo closed and quinn was sort of able to have a little bit you know have my mom in to babysit and whatever and i was able to get out of the house uh because after his diagnosis in uh 2019 i was home with him until january of 2020 from out of work uh just full time with him and so I was like, all right, I should probably go and talk to someone. I'm crying all the time. Mm. And uh, I think I missed the part where, like, if you find a counselor and they're not good for you, you should probably keep trying. Mm. I think I said to her once, like, you know, I'm just constantly worried his cancer is going to come back. And I think she said, but maybe it won't. And, you know, to a cancer mom, it's like, I don't I don't need you to, like, necessarily talk me out of it. Mm. I need you to help me figure out how to deal with that. Um, and so I will say, like, I struggled until his diagnosis with the relapse, which, oddly enough, kind of kicked me back into, like, all right, like, you know, you got to get yourself together here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't look for a counselor, and I didn't look to talk to anyone. And like I said, I think God kicked in my door and was like, you're going to need some spirituality here. It's going to carry you through. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't profess that everyone should follow the religion that I follow, but I think... Everybody needs spirituality, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I think without it, you're just lost, you know. You're you're lost. You need a little spirit. Believe in something. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that's – I still get emotional. I still get worried. I still get stressed. Um, but I'm ca- I've kind of drowned myself in religion and faith, and I'm not perfect. I think if, you know, talk to any of the people I work with, they'll be like, she swears like a truck driver. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it helps you process things. And I think one of the things I struggled with when I went back to work the first time in 2020 was, you know, Quincy has a high um, population of people who struggle with addiction, specifically uh, drugs. Mm-hmm. And addiction in itself is very self-centered, you know, and I pray now all the time for addicts, but it's hard when you're struggling after watching your son struggle to live Mm -hmm. uh, with people who are trying to kill themselves on a daily basis. I don't think I dealt with that very well in 2020 because I was just mad. Like, what? What do you mean? You know? And I think, again, religion kicked in when I returned back to work and it was like, you know what? Like, who knows what went on in their lives? Yeah, You know, my kids are not raised yet. They're not, you know, free and independent. And, you know, I think it took took that incident of him being diagnosed with a relapse uh, for me to kind of really, like, get back to how I used to think before cancer. And it's 
everybody is just like one really bad life incident away from losing it all. <laughs> you know, and I think, I just need to pause for a second. <sighs> Sorry. I think, uh, you know, as a police officer, you know, people look at us and like, oh, they got it all together and, you know, what have you. And I do think, like, especially you get out of the academy, like, and there isn't a police officer across the country that won't admit this. You get out of the academy and you're ready to take on the world, you know, mm -hmm. like, send me the cartel. I'm going to find them in this car. <laughs> <right?"> <laughs> I never did find them. But, you know, you try so hard to be the the best cop that you can be that you almost lose sight of, like, your job is actually humanity. Like, you're, you're, you have to restore humanity and faith back into these people in humanity, um, especially, you know, with our vulnerable population, uh, the homeless and the addicted, which usually go hand in hand. They haven't been shown much dignity. They haven't been given that, like, grace that they deserve. And I think that's where faith kind of put me back into, like, why I really became a police officer, and it was to help people. But getting back into work, um, for you, was that hard, that yes. first time? I mean, it's it's still hard. There are days where I should probably stay home with Quinn and just be with him, but I have a I have a job, I have a career, and yeah. Um, I will say, when I went back in 2019, I probably shouldn't have gone back so quickly, but I still had that mindset of like, you know, these guys they all donated their time, and you know, I gotta get back. And in my mind, I was like, I have to get back also in case he relapses again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, if that happens at, at any point in time, which it could and it did, I'm going to have to go out again. And so I didn't want to abuse, you know, the generosity of my coworkers mm -hmm. or even be perceived as yeah. though I was abusing it. Because, yeah. you know, we were trying also to make memories for Quinn yeah. um, and his sister while we were out at that point. But... I think, and I, I think I've spoken with, you know, some of my coworkers about it is when I went back to work the first time, somebody probably should have sat me down and just said, where are we at? Like, where are we at? How, how are you actually doing? Mm. You know, it's, it's great that you're, you know, Quinn's an extremely public figure in this yeah. area. Uh, and, you know, we've been blessed with so many amazing experiences, and I think, People look like, oh, they're doing all right. You know, they're at the Bruins game. They dropped the puck. Yeah. Um, but I think somebody probably should have said, you know, like, are you okay? Mm. Yeah. And, and um. just sat down with me and said, you know, if you're not okay, we're here. Because I certainly was not in the mindset of asking because I felt like I had asked so much already. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a hard thing for me, like, when I look back on that time and I'm like, Oh, geez, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have rushed back. Um, but there's a lot of pressure to like, all right, like he's healthy. Yeah. His hair is growing back. Like get back in there. Everything's yeah. perfect now. As far as like, um, in work, you said that like, I didn't go back and I didn't talk to anyone, um, to that time, that early diagnosis. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't find someone that suited me and, and I left at that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as a family, what you're doing, um, you know, connecting with each other, you said family nights, right? 
that in itself is therapy. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, to be able to do those little things together and say, hey, this is this this is my priority now. Um, and even though you still are a police officer, a female police officer, and you still have those, you know, genes in you to um, you know, your career and all that type of stuff, this is your priority, um, you know, at this at this time. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? Is there anything that you do for self-care, like for yourself? Take time out and just chill and relax or? I mean, I don't think so. I, don't th- <laughs> I think that's probably like one of the things I need to work on the most. Yeah. Um, there's so much going on with Quinn, you know. Yeah. Balancing like work, you know, now I'm down to, you know, technically he's not sick anymore. So I'm back to like. Here's your 14 days at the beginning of the year. And I really need to, like, manage those days. Um, you know, I did just come back from Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did go on a religious pilgrimage. But I try to manage as many sick and vacation days as I can to j- use just for Quinn. He's got a million appointments. There's so much going on that it just seems like I, I for myself, I've put myself in a backseat. I'll get to that when I'm when I'm at a point where, like, I feel like that's the priority. Yeah, you're right. You know, and honestly, like, for me, just the fact that I have both my kids with me, we get to spend time together. We do a ton of stuff. Anything we can do, you know, to create memories, we do them. We're constantly blessed with the Bruins are constantly bringing us in for games. And, you know, whatever we can do together as a family, we'll do. Um, And that kind of right now is my self-care. Doing things like this, you know, hopefully getting the word out to someone who maybe is struggling in their own way and realizing, like, you know, well, we hear a lot about police officers, you know, succumbing to their mental health issues and Mm -hmm. succumbing to, you know, the weight of PTSD. And a lot of times, I will say as a female, I visualize those as men. Um, And it's a male-dominated field. So even sitting down with you and doing the podcast kind of invigorates me to say, like, you know, Something good came out of today and yeah. hopefully help one person, you know, just saying, hey, you know, something's not right with me. Maybe I need to go figure out a way, whether it be, you know, religion, being with family, talking to their administration. I mean, I think there's anyone in this field will tell you there is definitely a difficulty in officers asking for help. Mm. Um, you know, we all know the police officer like, oh, you know, that that officer went out. They're at, they're at detox, you know, and I feel like we're each other's best support system when something's going on, like with the family or if I was sick. Um, but the mental health aspect isn't really viewed as an illness. Mm. It's viewed sort of as a weakness still. Mm. Um, you know, and everyone will say like, oh, you know, poor guy, poor girl, whatever, you know, whatever the person might be struggling with. Um, but there's still that, you know, feeling of like, you know, judgment on the person that's seeking the help. Yeah. For me, like, I wouldn't be the type of person if I was like really having a bad day to be like, hey, I'm having a bad day. I need to get out of here. You wouldn't say that? I I have to be honest. I, I don't think I would. Well, our goal um, with this podcast and what we're doing is to really try make talking about um, struggles, whether it be just an everyday, whatever, 
thing to you experiencing something traumatic and and still being allowed to have an off day or emotional leading up to um, one of Quinn's, you know, big MRIs, exams or whatever it might be that you struggle with. Um, to make talking about those things a normal, like I'm having a hard time here and um, just to be able to offload um, would be so refreshing for anybody to be able to go and get that and not be judged, no judgment. You know, we kind of all know each other's business. We're like a big family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we don't get to sleep in like the firefighters. Uh, <laughs> oh, how dare you. <laughs> I got I to I stick that in there. Little, little rivalry, rivalry, yeah. but well, we are like see. a big family. You know, um, I count on the person I'm working with to have my back and they count on me to have their back. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my department's great. Yeah. I think if I, to be honest, I think if I went to any of them and was like, Hey, I need to go home. They'd be like, just go. Like, mm. I know for certain, mm. uh, Numerous bosses would just be like, go ahead, you all right? Get out of here. But sometimes it's that check-in. You know, like I said, back in 2020 when I returned to work, I, I think if somebody had sat me down and been like, are you okay? I probably would have said no. Mm. And I would have gone home. You know, shortly after that, we experienced the pandemic, uh, and I was back to work, and I was terrified. Uh, I won't get into the politics of the pandemic, but mm-hmm. uh, I was blessed enough that I was able to call my chief and just say like, hey, this thing's killing people and my son's still medically fragile. His immune system's compromised. I can't be out working with people and catching this and bringing it home. Yeah. And he literally said, you know, stay home. Let us know. We'll, we'll keep an eye on this. And we all thought like, oh, it's going to be two weeks. Yeah. And it got extended more. And my chief never bothered to say like, hey, you got to get back here. You know, he understood without necessarily getting the full story though like hey that is her priority and in some ways that became his priority because you know it was no questions asked like she's back out on the sick bank let's take care of her take care of her family take care of her her child yeah um and it was me who called and said like hey i gotta come back to work yeah enough of this you were putting a lot of pressure on yourself to getting back to work maybe trying to find some hey I'm going to get some normalcy back here and back into the swing of things. But yeah, when you went back, it was like, yeah, I shouldn't be back here. We all carry things differently. And then just the the actual definition of our job is to kind of carry other people's stuff for them mm-hmm. and help them work through it on their worst day. Mm. Um, and it's hard to do that when you haven't really let go of your worst day, right? So it's sort of like I say to my daughter, like, you know, that's too heavy for your backpack. But if we're all carrying around a backpack and everyone's putting, you know, pebbles in it and then someone comes along and puts a boulder in it, mm-hmm. you're still trying to chip away at that boulder to get it out of there. Mm-hmm. But you're back at work and somebody's throwing pebbles back in there while you're trying to get rid of the boulder. It's, you know, it's a, a definite, like, balance of, yeah. you know, emotional stability and also, you know, being able to function at a normal level. Mm. Um, and I think... I can say confidently, like, I am in that place where I can I can sort of balance that out well. And, you know, I find, like, now more so inspired when I'm working, like, when I'm dealing with other people's stuff, I'm helping them out better because I'm able to, like, take my, what I've learned through my experience with Quinny and, you know, sort of parlay that onto them at their level, at the level of the incident that they're dealing with. Mm. Um, and so I think... In some ways, it was good 
when I went back to work the second time, because it was like, come on, like, Officer Waters, like, that's what you always wanted to do. And him going through radiation kind of made it okay for me to become the police officer I always wanted to be again. And I don't think, like, I really allowed myself, you know, when you come back to self-care, it's like, I didn't allow myself to, like, after the first diagnosis to really, like, be that person again. You know, yeah. like, it was like, you know, who am I to be working on my career? Now I'm back to work, and I'm in a mindset of, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay that this terrible thing happened to your son. He's healthy right now. It's okay for you to want something other than just the health of your children. Yeah. I often say to people, like, yeah, yes, I'm the mom of the mighty Quinn, but, like, I am also Officer Waters. Like, and it is an identity. I know I've heard yeah. Jay say on other podcasts, it's a part of you if you're a first responder, if you're a, a military member, veteran, or present it becomes a part of your identity. Whether you want it to or not, there's nothing you could do. You're always, you know, police officers are always going to be on alert and firefighters are always going to be looking for the cot that they take down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but firefighters are always going to be, you know, y- you talk to them, like, make sure you have alarms and you're buying a new house. Make sure there's alarms in that house. They, even if they're retired, they're still giving you the firefighter tips. And, you know, that's the same as the police officer who's like, hey, this guy over here is up to no good, but I'm not a police officer anymore, but I can't let that go. And I think even though I, I, you know, became mom to Quinn and Maggie and then the mom of the mighty Quinn, um, I finally, like, allowed myself to be like, okay, you can just be Officer Waters now. Like, mm-hmm. you could just be mom and Officer Waters, and you can kind of put cancer mom on the back burner until it's needed, hopefully never again, but maybe it will be. Yeah. Um, and I think... Like, I thank God for kind of getting me through that transition of... Yeah. So allowing yourself to live a little bit. Yes, yeah, so um, allowing myself to to work on me and work on yeah. what I originally had as my plan in life, which was to be a mom to two great kids and have a successful career. And um, I'm blessed that I work in a great department that has allowed me to do that. And, yeah. you know, there's plenty of departments, plenty of places to work where, like, something like this happens and you're out of work and it's hey, unless you come back tomorrow, this job isn't going to be here anymore. Um, and so I'm lucky that, you know, they kind of gave me that time to reroute back to what I originally planned to do. I think that you have a, you have an incredible perspective. I'm, I'm an absolute awe of the way that, uh, that you have responded to the circumstances in the manner that you have. And um, I, I think that you're a difference maker, Officer Waters. I think that... I try, I try. <laughs> I think your description of the culture is, is very accurate. And I think it's okay that that's just what where we're at in the conversation, kind of, right? Like those yeah. things are beginning to be recognized, um, especially in the culture of, of first response where we um, mental health is, is very relevant to job performance. And, um, you know, when somebody's coming back and, and they're carrying trauma, uh, it sounds like you're going to see them. Know and 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 uh, I think that makes a big difference. I think it's it's something as simple. You know, some people think like it has to be this grand uh, reach out. You know, I'm gonna send flowers. I'm gonna bake some food and send it out. Sometimes it's as simple as just a text. Just text someone. Yep. You know, and you know, since coming back both times with Quinn uh, from his illness, whenever I do hear like an officer has been in a little bit of trouble or you know. Something has gotten a little bit too heavy for them, um, as you do here. I do send out that text, you know, like, hey, you don't have to respond to this. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't ever need to hear from you again, but, like, just so you know, like, life is long and life is hard. Like, life is not easy. Mm. You know, there are moments of joy and there are moments of pain, and in between, we, we're living, mm-hmm. you know, and I think just reaching out to people and being like, hey, you know, here's someone who is acknowledging that, like, you're probably going through something. I don't need to know the details. You don't need to tell me the details. I'm not requiring you to call me back. I'm not requiring you to text me back. But somebody is here. Somebody is acknowledging you're going through. And I was on the receiving end of that through so many coworkers, uh, both within my agency and outside of my agency. You know, it is true. It is a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Um, You know, I always say to Maggie, look at all these police officers who loved Quinny so much, but they also loved you because they're your aunts and uncles. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, But just... That one extra thing. I mean, we're always on our phone. Just send a text. Mm-hmm. Send a Facebook message. Like, hey, don't know what's going on. Don't need to know. I'm here if you need to talk. You know, judgment-free. Keep it between you and me. And I think a lot of police officers are skeptical that it's going to stay between you and me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we are kind of the, we rag on each other. And we are like brothers and sisters. And mm. I think a lot of officers worry about the stigma that would come with seeking the help. You know. Maybe you're not. Maybe it's not drugs and alcohol, but you just need a little time to get your head straight, yep. um, and that should be something that is accepted because we can't carry the emotional load of our own lives and then little bits and pieces of everyone else that we interact with during the activities of our job without, at some point, it becoming too heavy to mm. process and move on with in a healthy manner. Yep. And you know, we all have handguns. You know, even if you're not some sort of weapon aficionado. I've, I worked in 2002. I was at Malden Police, and um, a police officer, again, I was a civilian, but a police officer that I worked with used his own handgun to, you know, commit suicide. And that was my first exposure to it. And so when Quinn got sick the first time, I was like, get this thing. Get it out of my house. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what my life is going to look like next week let alone next mm. month. Um, and I just had the clarity to say, like, you know, I don't need this quick fix. I just didn't need it to, to be accessible to me. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of, more so a lot of police officers, you know, many of whom are veterans and are carrying around the weight of that, whether it's in a healthy way or an unhealthy way, you know, having your own firearms is something that, you know, they treasure as part of their constitutional right. I also treasure that as part of my constitutional right. Um, And so the worry of being like, I need to, like, not have these items accessible to me during this difficult emotional time, the worry that you'll never get them back or, you know, you'll be turned in or, you know, and I think that that comes back to just the overall stigma. Maybe if it became standard protocol, then you wouldn't be relying on officers to come forward and say, I need a little bit of help. But you'd actually meet them at the point where they just needed someone to ask. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. So, and it wouldn't be like this stigma thing. I don't know. I think people are just afraid to approach it and acknowledge it for what it is because we're viewed as like, you know, the peace- peacekeepers and you, you got to be mentally clear. And All the superheroes. We're not superheroes. We're just humans who put on a uniform every day. And you do your job, and hopefully if you do your job well and you do your job right, you get to retire. And if your shift goes well, you get to go home at the end of your shift. And, like, 
if you're if you're in a job where like that's actually a concern, and then you, you add all these other things, like somebody needs to check on the checkers, right? Like somebody yeah. needs to just check in with them. Yeah. What would you like to say then if there was something that you would like to see implemented in departments in general? Like what would it be to make it easier for s- for someone to be able to go forward without all the stuff that goes along with it, like the the judging each other type of stuff. Just to make it normal. I mean, it's it's part of obviously it's part of the culture, right? It's right. there. Yeah. Every day. So why not make it a normal part of being able to to talk about it without an officer or a firefighter having to go home and drink themselves to sleep because they can get get asleep. Right. Or take some medication to um, help them sleep to or whatever it is to get through the day. Right. Um, so, you know, rather than getting to becoming a crisis or developing into something like us or, or someone taking their life um, because of it, because they don't know where to go or where to turn, what would you like to see happen? Like, I mean, I think it's, you know, again, I think the police suicide rate is so high mm-hmm. because the weapon is so accessible. Mm. It's a quick, like, I need to make this emotional pain end, mm-hmm. you know, and I've actually, I've never been at that point, but when I when I thought about it for myself, that's kind of how I thought about it. I was like, you know, Jesus Christ, if, you know, everything goes to shit here, I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, and so I at least have the, the strength and wherewithal to be like, okay, like, let's just prep for a worst case scenario here. Um, and I had the pause to do it. And I think when you're yeah. in a mental health crisis, you're lacking that pause. Um, but I don't think it's just law enforcement. I think that it's, you know, the industry as a whole. Yeah, first you know, response. Like, yeah. How, do you, how do you give people medication for mental health issues, but you're not really checking in on them? Like, you know, yeah. what are we doing here? And I think, you know, I know at our department we have an amazing um, – we have a clinician. It's an amazing program, our community policing program. And so if I know that Joe Schmo on 10 Jones Street is going through a mental health crisis, they're a civilian, they're just a resident of the city, um, it's becoming a problem. We think that, you know, they're starting to really escalate here. We bring in the clinician. And the clinician, the community policing unit, goes and meets with that resident, you know, offers them services, makes them get services, whatever the case may be. I, I think knowing people's personal experience that are police officers, you know, some may struggle with, with substance abuse, right? So we send them to get treatment for substance abuse. When they get to the point where, like, either they're forced to get help or they're asking for help, like, where, and I understand, like, there are places where, you know, the Boston Police Stress Unit comes out, and there are places you can send police officers, but, you know, say you have a, a single father or a single mother, or they have small kids, but they still need the help. Like, they can't, they can't, go out west and spend an unusual amount of time mm. seeking help necessarily. Um, so what are we doing before we get to that point? Like how are, we, how are we sort of checking in with people? I think, you know, we do it with our residents. So why aren't we doing it with our police officers? Yeah. I said it, uh, we talked about that last week in one of our interviews um, where we had said that like if a, if a first responder regardless of what uniform they wear, if they need help, if they need some help and they're struggling and they saw previously someone or heard of someone getting help previously, 
well, they're more than likely they're going to go forward and get help themselves because they saw someone getting help. But on the other end of that, if, if a first responder sees someone being judged or talked about yes. or not getting help from the administration, they're obviously going to believe that they're not. it's going to happen to them too and they're not going to... So they're, they're not going to say anything right, like, and right. still struggle. In our department, I can see, like, oh, you know, Tara Waters is out sick today. Tara Waters took a vacation today. We could see when each other is off and, you know, you put admin next to my name for weeks on end. You know, mm. if it's not related to Quinn, they're going to be like, well, what's up? Like, what's going on with her? And to be honest, there have been times where I've been, you know, they'll put in FMLA if I'm going to an appointment with Quinn. And I do have offices call, like, text and check in, like, hey, is everything okay with Quinn? Like, what's going on? Um, but th- you could see the negative side of that would be if I was in some sort of treatment, whether it be for alcohol, just plain old mental health, or drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows. Mm. And so, like, will an officer want to put themselves out there like that? Yeah. And probably not. Um, and so that's why I say, like, I would like to see something before they get to crisis point. And, you know... It would take away a little bit of stigma if, like, everyone was checked in with. Mm. And I think, like, I think that's changing. I think administrations are changing. They're, you know, kind of humanizing again. Like, for so long, we've kind of been in, like, the militant, like, yeah, uh, or semi-militant um, type of, you know, workplace. Um, and everyone was expected to, you know, sort of toe the line. I'm just speaking generally, not of my department. But yeah. um, I think that's, like, a police overall mentality and i think that you know it's sort of the tide is sort of changing like you know they're starting to say like you know what what are we doing to take care of our our officers even something as simple as acknowledging good things they do or you know thanking them you know you see a lot of posts now like thank you to the officers for x y and z who responded to you know abc yeah um and i think that goes a long way and i think that will help with things, but if you're struggling mentally, if you're struggling with mental health, all the praise in the world isn't going to overcome those demons. And mm. um, if you're building relationships with officers, you know, checking in with them, supervisors or people who are on, you know, say like a mental health team at your department, if it's like a regular thing, you're checking in with them, A, you're going to know something's off, right? Like you're going to know like, hey, I, I just spoke to them two weeks ago. And they seemed okay, but something is off. It's going to be on your radar, right? Yeah. And maybe you're going to catch it before it gets to that point of, you know, it's too late. Or, I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, I never would have thought. Like, I just talked to him last week. He was fine. Yeah. And it's like, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, a lot of people say that. It's like, but did you ask them? Like, did you actually, like, sit them down one-on-one without a crowd around, without people around and say, like, Hey, what's going on? Everything okay? Everything, you know, anything you need, anything we could do for you? And what can we do to help you? What can we do to help you? Mm-hmm. But if you're not building relationships with, you know, your employees, that's it's kind of hard to, like, rewind time and be like, oh, wait, you know, I probably should have checked in with you more, but now we're at this point where you're in complete crisis and now you need to be hospitalized or this horrendous incident occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, or worst case scenario, you know, we completely missed it, and this person, person is gone, and it's nobody's fault when that happens. Um, I don't think it's lack of leadership, and I don't think it's lack of, you know, great coworkers. 
I just think if it became normal to sit down with, you know, like I come into work, I go on my shift, I leave my shift at four. Mm. But if it came became normal, like, you know, let's just call Joe Schmo in on Tuesday and just say, check in with him for no reason. Yeah. Um, and I think if you had someone who was doing that regularly and it didn't become this big, like, oh, we're sending you off, to, you know, you got to go talk to the head doctor. Yeah. You know, and maybe you could catch something before. And, you know, a lot of officers also, you know, don't want to leave work to seek mental health treatment because they rely on the details. Mm. They rely on that overtime to survive, you know, whether it's they're the single breadwinner for the home or, you know, whatever. Pay the bills. Maybe they're just in debt. Maybe it's, you know, who knows what it is. Yeah. But they rely on those details. And so asking for help and asking to go and receive that kind of treatment means the end of, you know, the extra pay. Mm. Maybe the department will cover you to get that pay, but, you know, and, I'm not a huge detail worker, mainly because I'm a mom. I always say, just like with my fitness, someday, someday <laughs> I'll work some road jobs. Um, you know, I'm busy being a mom, but a lot of people that I work with rely on that extra work. And I think just like I put my fitness and self-care aside, you know, they also put their stuff aside because they're like, I need to keep doing this. I don't, I don't have time to deal with I'm feeling a little sad today or I'm feeling like I'm getting overwhelmed with yeah. everything. Um, and also, m- most of the people I work with are men, and men are deemed, whether it's, you know, right or wrong, you know, you're strong, you're, you know, yeah. carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I think there's a lot of shame that goes, yeah. like there's shame that goes along, and also not having the courage. I believe Jay shared that in, in his first yeah. interview. Um, you know, it was courage that he hadn't developed at, at the time. Um, when he was diagnosed with with a PTSD. But yeah, the sort of like, you know, not having the courage to be able to go and again with judgment, am I going to be judged because of that? Or um, am I going to lose my job? Yes. Um, that type of stuff, all of that goes along hand in hand with it, which is why a lot of folks don't go and get help. Um, but we're hoping that the more we talk about it, I mean, we're not going to go anywhere. We're serious about this. We're so happy to have you in here today. Thank you for having me. Sharing your story with us, which is very needed um, as far as a police officer. And if I could leave it one point. Yes. You know, I say to my daughter when she has a bad day at school, just go to bed. When we wake up in the morning, let's see how you feel about it. It's like if you're at that point and it's your lowest point ever, and you're not ready to ask for help, like, sleep on it. Mm. Just give it one more day. And maybe that next day, you know, because having mental health issues is not doesn't make you a bad person. And you are loved and you are worthy. And, yes. you know, God doesn't have that plan for you. Yeah. That's, that's not God's plan. Um, and just try and give it another day. Yeah. And maybe that next day, either you're, you know, it's going to turn around a little bit or you're going to be strong enough to seek that help. But I mean, like we do with Quinn when he was in the depths of his treatment, just one more day, like take it day in a day. You can't take things longer than a day. Um, but you know, if you're thinking about, you know, it's too much, you can't take it anymore. Just put it aside, give it the night, wake up in the morning and regroup tomorrow. Yeah. Um, 
you know, there's no turning back from that. And everyone's going to miss you when you're gone. So if there was someone that came to you um, struggling, what would you tell them to do? What advice would you give them? I mean, I would tell them I have struggled as well. Um, I would try and point out to them, you know, everything you're going to leave behind, all of the pain you're going to leave in your wake. As you well know, unfortunately. No. Yeah. It's, it's a large wake that you're going to leave. Um, and your easy solution, the quick fix, is going to damage more people than it's going to help. You know, and so I, I know a lot of people that I deal with just as a police officer who are in mental health crisis, you know, they say, nobody cares. No one wants me around. Mm. But everyone's going to miss you when you're not. Well, I can tell you, um, you know, firsthand, you know, that experience um, for us as a family, um, that pain that you feel does not go away. Yep. You, just, you just learn how to live through it, turning my sadness into something positive to help others. That's my focus now. You're going to help a lot of people. And the, our purpose is, t- is to be able to do that and uh, focus on that. I'd rather turn my energy into something positive than a negative and feeling bad inside every day because um, I could easily do that mm-hmm. and, and that's just not me I think it's the Irish in us it's, the, it's the stubborn Irish <laughs> in us we're live, Irish live in to us. fight another day Linda. yeah 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 but I get what you're saying and but there is so much resources yeah. out there available for any first responder to go seek yes. peer support you're, Jane mentioned that last week there's peer support programs out there um, for first responders there's just, just so much and if anything come talk to us We'll, we'll guide you in the right direction with no judgment. 100%. Yeah. And a delicious pastry if they come into my Riley's. Yeah. <laughs> might be sure. a little heavier, but <laughs> your heart might be a little lighter. You know? For sure. Have you... I'm someone that, that sought help and found healing. Um, you mentioned earlier that you know you knew about other, other cops that, that had reached out for help, and, and I think we uh, hit a lot of the stigma pretty clearly. But... Uh, did you see people get help and, and find recovery when they reached out to the peer support network or someone like that? I definitely have. I mean, I think I know for a fact, you know, you take Weymouth Police, which suffered a tragedy in 2018. Personally, you know, I know a lot of those guys as friends and now family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely utilized all the services that were available for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spoken with so many guys who are like, thank God they were there. Um, thank God we had someone to talk to. Yeah. And I think the, the positive from that was it was outside officers who came in. Mm. You know, and I think you're talking to another officer. They've been through what you're, you're through, but they don't work for you. Mm. They don't work with you. And so whatever you say to them is held in a certain confidentiality, and you have that confidence. Um, and I know that, you know, officers that I work with who've sought treatment for whatever it may be, they're back to work. I know one of whom I'm friends with. We talk very regularly. I'm very open with people about, you know, like there were some tough days there. You know, like, yeah. you know, it, it's a heavy thing to carry. And I think, you know, normalizing, not necessarily being like super strong and not necessarily being able to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders is okay. And, you know, and I think the officers who I know who got help during that traumatic incident, they're all, for the most part, you know, doing pretty well. Mm. There were obviously officers who are who were there that day. It was an extremely traumatic event. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I don't know how I could go back to policing after that. So I know there's some officers who, who are still, you know, working through that trauma. Um, and I don't think it should take a, you know, tragic event like what happened to Officer Mike Chesna for departments to, like, rally in the outside troops. We're a family. Like, let's rally them in. Let's, let's like, you get a yearly checkup. Let's, let's do – I'm big into the, like – you know, we the sheriff's department has a program. They call elders on a regular basis. Are you okay? Check in with them. And if, they're, if they don't answer, if they're not there, they call us and have us go and speak to them. Um, and so I think, like, normalizing – Checking in with people, yeah. normalizing the fact that, like, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to work through it. We got to talk through it. Yeah. Um, and there are so many services out there. I definitely sh- probably should have utilized them when I went back in 2019, um, when the pandemic came in, and then you know, pile onto it, Quinn relapsing. My life just took a different tra- trajectory, and you know, I found my faith, and I, like I said, I just drowned myself in it. I check in with new officers. I, I There was a new officer uh, that we worked with, that I worked with recently. You know, I said, you know, I'm, I believe in God. We just had a, a friendly conversation about religion. This job can get real heavy real fast. Mm-hmm. And I said, so make sure that you have something to rely on, whether that be faith or family or friends. Uh, and they were like, no, you know, again, like we all were like, I'm tough. I got mm. this. Yeah. yeah. When I tell you three days later, they came to me and, you know, looked like they had seen a ghost and said, basically, like, you are so right. I never would have expected what I saw. And it was a terrible call that any officer doesn't want to be involved in. They didn't have the tools, you know, to shut down the interview you know, at the point where, like, all right, I'm going to shut this down. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, they they watched uh, someone be victimized. The The victim who was reporting this was, was showing them on their cell phone, like, look at this video I found of someone being victimized that they knew and loved. And the officer said to me, like, I wasn't able to sleep. You know, I kept hearing the noises, and I couldn't stop seeing the images. Um, you know, and I kind of just said, like, I'm here you want to talk about it like it's yeah. okay that that affected you so negatively that's not normal for anyone to be seeing it's not normal for anyone to be hearing mm. this job can get a little heavy like life is heavy and then on top of it the job can be heavy mm. they never would have felt comfortable enough coming to me and saying you know i saw this horrendous thing and opening up about the fact yeah you know and hitting every point of like trauma and ptsd like I can't sleep. It's all I'm hearing. I can't. Every time I close my eyes, I see it. Yeah. You know, and I'm so this was glad. A new officer, this was right? a new officer. Oh. I'm so glad that, like, they felt comfortable enough coming to me. You know, and I, again, I feel God puts us in certain places. And mm. I was there that day to have that precursor conversation with, with them. Uh, and then it led to, you know, literally, like, you know, 48 hours later, them coming to me and being like, holy crap, like, yeah. how how do you deal with this? Yeah. You know, and I think that that should be, like, a normal thing. To, there should be someone that you, you turn to and you're like. Yeah. And it's okay because guess what? Like, we're hearing the things that are not normalcy. We're seeing the things that are not normalcy. That is not normal stuff. Right. Um, and so... 
it's okay to say that. Like, it's okay to say, like, whoa, like, that one haunted me. Mm-hmm. That one carried me around for quite a few days. Yeah. Um, and I think it's when we're not saying that, when we don't feel, we don't have someone to turn to and be like, holy crap, like, I don't know how to process this. Yeah. Um, I then reached out to our stress unit that we have within our department, one of the uh, one of the people in charge of it. Mm-hmm. And I just said, hey, heads up, like, I just spoke to so-and-so. Yeah. They're hitting every point of, you know, trauma. And the person, you know, was expressing me like, I'm better now. But, you know, that's still there. Like, that yeah. conversation with me didn't erase what you saw, and it didn't erase what you heard. Yeah. It just acknowledged that you saw this horrendous thing and you had a difficult time processing it. And I think, you know, that should be, you know, our our brotherhood and our sisterhood, that should be something that we're doing often. And I think having that conversation maybe with even just the new new people coming on. Yeah. Like, hey, and I know they have it in the academy, but it's it's sort of like brushed over. Like, oh, you know, if you haven't stressed, just make sure you check with this. Yeah, here's, here's a card. Put it in your case you ever need it. Uh, but it should be more detailed. It should be more like, it should be okay to be affected by the negative things that we're being exposed to. Yeah. Right? It should be like standard, like, hey, that's not normal. If we go to a shooting, if we, you know, if we have any kind of critical incident, there's always afterwards, like an after action report. They speak with the office, blah, 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 blah. But it's those little pebble incidents, you know, like those little tiny incidents that maybe like it didn't make the news and, you know, no one pulled their gun out. But it's still affecting but it affected the officer. That yeah. officer, like, yeah. you know, just check in with them. Be like, hey, yeah. everything okay? I remember I went to a, a stabbing. Uh, and I'm not going to lie. I've never seen that much blood. And I think I was new because I was wor- I was uh, working night. It was the midnight shift I was working. And it was a stabbing at a bar. Thankfully, the woman lived. There was blood everywhere. And that night, you know, I had to go to the hospital. I had to pick up the evidence. I was in the emergency room with her. And, like, I, to this day, I can still smell it. And, you know, and it wasn't just that night, but, like, a couple nights afterwards, I was like, wow, that was, like, super dangerous. We had no idea who stabbed her or where that person was in the bar. But I came in, and right away it was, like, first aid to the victim here. But I didn't have any other information besides that. And, you know, it's it's those things. It's, you know, the afterwards where you start to process it a little, and you're yeah. like, that could have gone really sideways mm-hmm. uh, for me. Yeah, but there's multiples of those. Right. The... You know, the other person, like, there's, there's small things that don't make the news, and then there's also big things, and yeah. it's a cumulative of multiples, and then years of right. it, of someone not going like, and getting help if Imagine if it. someone had said, and it, honestly, you know, that was probably my first, like, major incident as a police officer. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it wasn't, I'll admit it, maybe Quinn, like, has superseded any kind of, like, emotional weight that that would carry but mm. you shouldn't be approaching officers afterwards and being like yeah you're all set right like you're good you're tough yeah, yeah i'm tough but like even now i'll tell you like i am one of the strongest people i know mm. but i am not impervious like stress still breaks its way through mm. um and it's okay to say like i'm not feeling so strong today you know that's that's pretty heavy i can't i can't work through this well enough yeah um but if you have someone coming in and rather than saying like, oh, you got this, right, kid? You're good. You're good. Instead, you have someone sitting down and be like, no. Listen, yeah. like, I know for me that that would affect me terribly. 
So I just want you to know I'm here yeah. if you want to talk about it. And just like with that new officer, they sought me out the next shift we were working together and we're like, you know, because we hadn't really exchanged numbers yet. They sought me out and we're like, hey, I can't believe this happened so quickly yeah. after this. You were right. Like, I need something. But just putting it out there like, hey, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Find your source. Find your source of yeah. how you're going to get back to point A mm-hmm. um, and have those tools in your toolbox when it's needed. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I think um, that's an incredible moment that you just shared with that young officer, and that's exactly how the change that we're talking about happens. I appreciate what you guys are doing, and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. The pleasure has been all ours for sure, Tara. Until next time. Until next time.